Over the past several months, we've been doing a series in Leviticus. We come this morning to Leviticus chapter 7, verses 28 through 38. Our New Testament complementary passage is John's Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. So if you place your bulletin as a marker in Leviticus chapter 7, Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, and in honor of God's word, please stand. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, here are God's word. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would you that you would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will give, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 7, beginning in verse 28 and continuing in the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings, from the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel. From the day that he anointed them, it is a perpetual due throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and to the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes and grant to us 
that we may hear Christ Jesus knocking. Invite him in and sup now with him. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So there's a famous line from a famous play, which many of you will immediately be able to pinpoint. When I open with the phrase, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. And if you're familiar with Shakespeare, and if you're familiar with the play Hamlet, then you'll know that ever since that actor who first played Hamlet has played that part over the last 600 some odd years, Hamlet has to be standing there with a skull in his hand. It's absolutely essential. Every image that you have of Hamlet, with regards to especially that speech, Hamlet has to have the skull. If he doesn't have the skull, the whole speech makes no, 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 no sense. It's as he's staring at the skull that he reflects on death. He reflects on how we all are going to end up at the same place. But it needs the physical prop. Now I hate to say that these scenes are props by any stretch. But you need to understand, in order to understand the Pentateuch, in order to understand the first five books of the Bible, in order specifically to understand this portion that we are in right now, that begins in Exodus chapter 18 and continues all the way through Numbers chapter 9, what you need to understand is this has always been a description of something visual and something visual that has been standing there for 40 years. The first generation that has lived through the wilderness, the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they have been seeing this tabernacle taken down. They've been seeing it put up over and over and over again all their lives. They've been seeing the eternal flame of the sacrifice, the eternal altar, or the, the eternal uh, sacrificial atonement that has been consistently held forth in front of them for 40 years. Years. This is a very visual book. And it, we know that it's intended to be visual because the rest of the Bible makes a big point of it. The writer of the Hebrews says, listen, you remember how awesome that sight was? Shaking and thunder and lightning and the people so terrified that they didn't even want to come near it. He says, you've come to something even greater. He points us to the visual. He points us to the visual image. This is a visual book. And as you and I encounter this book, what you need to be asking yourself is, what is the scene? If you get that question, if you understand that question, you will understand how to read the book of Leviticus. The question is not, 
okay, is it the breast and the left thigh, or is it the right? Why, why is it the right thigh instead of the, uh, the, you know, is there some meaning in the difference between the right thigh and the left ear, or, you know, what, what, what are all the interesting and clever ways? How, how many words are in this passage? Do they all add up to some magical, mystical number that is truly showing me the secret in this passage? There's all sorts of hot garbage ways that we take God's word and misuse it. And the secret to understanding the passage that is in front of us this morning, as all the passages that are here in this grand narrative, The secret is, what is the scene? What picture is being painted for us here? And you'll see in this passage, there are actually two things that are being painted that then comprise that scene that I want you to see. That I want you to walk away from this encounter saying, I see. The picture. Because the first part of this picture shows us the promise of peace with God. And the second part of the picture shows the promise of fellowship with the priest. Peace with God and fellowship with the priest. Now, in the passage... There's a couple of markers that are, that are here in this passage. One of them I want to draw your attention to is verse 34. But it's, verse 34 draws our attention to something that you should have already seen just as we read the entire passage. But verse 34 says that the breast that is waved, the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have give them, given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons. Now, here's the important phrase. As a perpetual due from the people of Israel. There's something about this right thigh and the breast portion that as long as the priesthood stands is connected to the worshiper and his relationship to God and to Aaron. At the very least, I think we can say, this is important. But that perpetual nature is, is, is really hit on again in verses 37 and 38. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to him in the wilderness. What is the point of verses 37 and 38? Why do we need that reminder? Because Moses wants you to sit up and listen. (laughs) Moses wants you to get the vision. Moses wants you to realize that behind this seemingly boring list of things 
is this powerful, powerful image of God on Sinai. His holiness, His judgment, the thunder, the lightning, the people in terror. God saying, this is who I am. This is how you will approach me. This is how you will live in peace with me. And if you don't, I will wipe you out from the face of the earth. Do you remember all that as we've been going through Exodus? At one point, God says to Moses, listen, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll be a God to you and to your children. But I am done with these people. That was the time around the the golden calf. Moses intercedes. And he says, (laughs) they're they're not my people. You brought them out of Egypt. (laughs) Don't don't call this my people. (laughs) Uh -uh. These are your people. And they are your people because you made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God has called His people through these mighty and outstretched hands, through these wondrous images, through these powerful displays of rivers turned to blood, of oceans divided, of all of this powerful imagery, so that you and I remember this is what is behind these verses. This is what is behind this entire system. The entire sacrificial system is this holy, glorious encounter with a terrifying God. But this holy and glorious encounter, there's a a phrase in here, there's a word in our passage here, that we've not looked at yet. We've actually encountered it. I've been intentionally passing it over. It's not that I haven't noticed it. (laughs) But if you've been reading through Leviticus, you may have heard already this deal about a wave offering. Sometimes called a heave offering. You see it in verse 30 in our passage. His own hand shall bring the Lord's food offering. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering to the Lord. The reason I've waited until this is because this scene that God is painting for us here. I want you, again... You're supposed to be imagining a visual scene. The children of Israel had been looking at this. They very much had been living for 40 years. This is an explanation of what has been being played out in front of their eyeballs for 40 years. They absolutely have a visual attached to this. So come with me into the visual. Because the visual is that I, the worshiper, come to God and I bring to Him my heart and my hand and say, I'm at peace. 
bring to Him my affections and my will. And I say, it's all yours. And the priest takes from me that sign, that, that, that image, that metaphor for my love for God. That breast. He takes from me, He takes from you that free will offering where you come and say, God, I give you my heart and my will. And the priest takes it and waves it to the four corners of the earth. Waves it north and south, east and west. A visual presentation of my heart before God to all the world. This is the worshiper bringing his heart to God. Bringing His will to God. Saying, take me, I am yours. And God responds by saying, we're at peace. He's made peace. The blood sacrifice has opened the way. The pilgrim walking in the wilderness can know that she is at peace. Can know that he is in the heart of God's care. Because the priest declares it. And the priest declares as long as the priesthood remains that this one who comes all the world is at peace with God. What a declaration. I mean, isn't that what we desire? Isn't that, isn't that how we want to navigate life? Isn't the way in which we move through life made so much more difficult by a lack of peace with God? A lack of peace either in our ethic a lack of peace in terms of our confidence that He is ordering all things for good, a lack of peace in a million ways, but can't you honestly say that every single hang-up, every single fear, every single negative thing in your head can all be boiled down to, are you at peace? Are you at peace with God? And are you at peace with where God has placed you? Are you at peace with God? In another way of saying it, are you at peace with His providence? Because that providence, that care, that direction of God in your life often feels like exactly the opposite of good. If there's a list of the top ten things that I think would be good for God to do in my life, I can tell you there have been a number of things that I would go, uh, God, <laughs> you're looking at the wrong list, sir. This is not the list 
This, this that you just handed me was from my list of worst ten things. This was not on my list, sir. <laughs> what was on my list was completely different from what you handed me. When God declares himself to be at peace, when God says to you, stop running, stop fighting, just rest, lean your head on my heart, let me know that your heart is mine, that your will is mine, and be at when you and I, beloved, are there, what do you think the testimony is that we give to the world? What do you think the witness is that you and I bear to the world of your profession? What do they see when they look at your face? When they look at your marriage, what do they see when they look at our congregation? Do they see a people who are at peace? Peace with God. Peace with God's providence. Peace with one another. Beloved, that's the first image that I want you to see from this passage. But the second image is one of fellowship with the priest. Because it's not enough, this image that you and I have of the priest waving the breast to the high heavens isn't enough. Now that same priest with his spotless white garments, that same priest is going to sit down with the worshiper and feast. That same priest is now going to enter into a meal. And beloved, I just think this is wild. (laughs) I just think the images here are amazing. I think the scene that is being painted here of the hot, dusty traveler in the midst of the wilderness, some random guy who spoke a completely different language from me, lived in under completely different circumstances from me, and yet here this guy is with his unknown family sitting around him in the middle of the Sinai desert with a priest in white garments eating together a meal. What an image. What a picture. (laughs) What a picture that God has given to describe what comes from reconciliation. You see, it's not just that God is done flicking you on the head. That's not the image of God that we're given here. That you're just tootling along in your life and God goes, Cancer! You're living happily in Gago's career. He just flicks us on the head every once in a while just to keep things spicy. 
We just live our lives, and every once in a while, God comes down and goes, flick. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. That's not the image here. The image here is of peace. Peace in the middle of the wilderness. Peace in the middle of the threat. Peace in the middle of the hunger. Peace in the middle of 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 the threat of a lack of water. The threat from enemies. The sin, the what is in and without the world, the flesh, and the devil. Peace from all of that. Peace that is communion. The one who brought that blood, the one who brought that fat, the one who burned it on that altar, now sits down with the worshiper and feasts. What a glorious picture. Because you see, beloved, as long as the priesthood remained, as long as the priesthood remained as an institution, there was always going to be a picture of Eden. picture of how it should have been. A picture of peace with God. A picture of communion with God. A promise that God sits with you and me and fellowships. And through our new covenant eyes we can see the glorious fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. And we see, we heard John's promise in the Revelation. I stand at the door and knock. And if you will open the door, I will come in and I will sup with you. Where do you think John's getting that imagery? Where do you think that's coming from? (laughs) Right here. Right here, the offering of peace and the priest sitting down and fellowshipping with. And eating and dining together with. Beloved, just as the Israelite needed a constant refreshing picture, so do you. So do I. I need a reminder. I need that remembering, that that, that picture, that promise. Because frankly, as glorious as that picture was, as glorious as that visual image is, all of the striking, I I think this is a lot more striking, frankly, than Hamlet standing on the stage with a skull in his hand. I think this is profoundly striking. Would you say it's your experience? Would you say, That worship promotes this. Would you say that this is the relationship with Jesus Christ that you have and that you are growing in? Would you personally say, this picture here is such a stunning and beautiful picture that I will sell everything I have to own this picture? This is the pearl of great price. 
Would you say that? Have you said that? Do you say that? Or do you say, yeah, I don't know. It sounds like Snoo- or the, the, the teacher in Charlie Brown. Okay, we're done. Because, beloved, all I can tell you is that I've stood outside this meal. I don't recommend it. I've stood outside this scene. It's horrible. It's darkness. It's death. It's fear. It's loneliness. Narcissism, it's dwelling on my own self and so often on my own flaws as much as anything else, or the way that I'm perceived by other people. It's this it's this sick inward focus. It's this gross selfishness. It's this nasty version of me that I don't want to be. I've stood in the darkness, brothers and sisters. Are you there? Are you standing outside of this scene? Because this scene, I think, is beautiful. This scene of the public declaration of peace, of the promise of fellowship with the high priest, is one that is offered to you and to me. Don't overcomplicate it. Let's just stick with this scene. Let's just stick with this visual. And I think, beloved, if we can just stick with that visual scene, that it will be a guide as we move in the wilderness. This scene that says the sacrifice is done. This scene that says God is Is it peace? This scene that says we are now in fellowship with Jesus Christ, the great high priest, and with one another. This is a very visual scene. And it comes to us through old covenant eyes as well as through new covenant eyes. But always pointing us to this place of peace. This place of healing. This place of strength and direction. Are you at peace with God? Beloved, if so, then come. I'm not saying do you feel peaceful. Because I am the first to tell you that being at peace with God is something that is really only experienced when the waves are at their highest. Being at peace with God is experienced in the contrast to the greatest terror and the greatest lack of that same peace. A peace that passes understanding. I'm not saying, do you feel like you're right with God? But what I am asking you directly, personally, and right now is are you at peace with God? Do you recognize your sin? Do you see your 
priest? Do you see that without that sacrifice, you can never have any peace now or in eternity? But that in Christ, His righteousness covering over your unrighteousness, His death so that you may live, His life so that you may die to yourself and live unto Him, His call to discipleship is a call to you personally. Father, you do invite us into the feast. You feed us well. You feed our souls. You remind us of who we are, who you are, and where we are. And Father, we pray that you would send us forth with your blessing, that you would send us out in the strength and the joy of our salvation that this week we may bear testimony to the world around us that we are at peace and that you feast with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.